when you have great coaches, then after you have great coaches, you get great players. You have a great organization, and you tell them one thing. Just win, David. listening to just pod baby a las vegas raiders podcast brought to you by silverandblacktoday.com and now your host evan gross let's go Raider nation welcome back to another recap episode of just pod baby brought to you by silver and black today and don't forget our sponsors at manscape.com bringing you the best in men's below the waist grooming the new and improved lawnmower 3.0 makes a great holiday gift. Save yourself 20% off, plus free shipping with the code PODBABY at manscaped.com. Well, where do we begin this week? So much to get into on this Monday night edition of Just Pod Baby. Following the Raiders' 44-27 loss to the Colts, mathematically they're still alive. But the path to the playoffs just got a whole lot more difficult for Las Vegas. Paul Gunther is out as defensive coordinator. Rod Marinelli will take over for the final three games of the year. We will discuss some possible long-term replacements for Gunther. And, of course, it's a quick turnaround this week because the Raiders are playing the Chargers on Thursday Night Football. But we will begin this week, or tonight, I should say, with some discussion with our co-host, Mo Moten, as we do every Monday night on the recap episode. We're going to talk to him about the embarrassing loss to the Colts, so we'll bring him in now. Mo, it was the biggest game that the Raiders have had in a very long time. Earlier in the day on Sunday, the Dolphins lost to the Chiefs. It was all there for the taking for the Raiders to get back in the playoff race. But just a complete meltdown. There was no other way to explain it by this team. And I think it's fair to say that you saw this coming and you tried to warn Raider fans. Yeah, we talked about this and I talked about it with Scott on the Friday before that weekend. And I basically said, hey, the Raiders... Even though they won that Jets game, they didn't look good doing it. It's so ironic that the Raiders haven't looked good since their loss to the Chiefs. Like, that's the best they've looked in the last four weeks. And, and again, once you play a team that is a playoff caliber squad and they're, and they're not giving you too many yards or points off mistakes, you have to button it up. And if you're not playing playoff football, you're going to get embarrassed. And that's what happened. Yeah, you absolutely told us that, and uh, you know, you, you you heated warning with, with this team, especially with the way they were playing here the last couple games. I'll be honest, you know, I, I thought maybe, just maybe, deep down inside that that win against the Jets because it happened in such dramatic fashion, uh, although it was very ugly uh, until the end. Uh, I, I thought it might give them some momentum. Obviously, that that did not happen, but uh, we're, we're going to uh, do things just slightly different tonight. We're not going to go through our traditional recap play-by-play. I couldn't, I didn't have the stomach to, to relive that, that game last night play-by-play. So what we're going to do is we're just going to uh, real quick just run through uh, the game uh, before we, we get into some other topics that I want to get into a little bit further. Uh, the, the Colts got off to a quick start in the game last night with, with that running attack. It was the it was really foreshadowing for what would come uh, in the rest of the game. On their opening drive, Jonathan Taylor carried the ball six times for 46 yards and even caught a pass for uh, 20 yards as well. So he was heavily involved in that first series for the Colts. Taylor did finish the game with 20 carries uh, with 150 yards and two touchdowns. It was the second consecutive game that the defense has allowed 200 plus yards on the ground. Yeah. And it, 
as you said, it was just kind of from start to finish. You once you saw that first drive with Taylor, you kind of knew it was going to happen. I was kind of surprised where on on suing drives they kind of went away from him because the Colts do use multiple backs. They kind of uh, use uh, Naeem Hines in there. Uh, to Jonathan Wilkins had a had a shot at the ball because I believe Naeem Hines came out with an injury when he was flung out of bounds by Jonathan Abram. But yeah, the Raiders' run defense shredded two weeks in a row, and it's just it it was just kind of. Again, the word is embarrassing. Um, you gave up basically, basically they gave up career days to back to back running backs. Last week it was Ty Johnson running for one oh four, and yesterday was Jonathan Taylor running for one fifty. Again, both career highs on that Raiders run defense. So I don't know what the issue is. I, I thought the Raiders had fixed their run defensive issues once Nick Wikowski came back. So I feel like he was that middle piece. He was there to kind of uh limit some of the bleeding in the front seven. And we're, we're just seeing an unraveling uh, at this point in the season at a, at a very crucial time, which is, again, is, is disappointing. Yeah, disappointing is a great way to, to say it. Again, this is it's the most important time of the season, and they're, and they're playing their worst football. And with this defense, it's, it's a lot of the same issues. Mm-hmm. You can pop on a film from early in the season, and, and, and things look exactly the same right now, if not worse, if not worse, especially with this run defense. It's it's the missed tackles, it's the poor angles, the miscommunications, blown assignments. Guys are not in the right uh, run fits. It's just it's it's the same stuff that we've seen throughout the entire season. And and I, you know, I don't want to overlook the injuries. I I know Gruden keeps harping on it. They've lost guys with COVID and they've lost guys with injuries, but all teams have been dealing with that this year. And and so I'm kind of tired of hearing uh, that excuse. Um, But really the the problem is that, you know, the defense just isn't that talented to begin with when you have the injuries to your starters, your cornerbacks, your safeties, your, your defensive linemen. This team just doesn't have the depth to overcome those types of losses. And we're going to touch more so on the defense um, a little bit later on, but I, I want to get back to the first half of the game. I tell you, despite the defense's struggles early in the first half, it was a it was a tight game. I, I want to ask you about one play in particular. I, I thought it was a, a big moment in the game, the Derek Carr interception just before halftime. It was deflating for sure. It wasn't. It, it wasn't necessarily like the turning point in the game by any means, but it was deflating. Uh, the Raiders drove the ball all the way down the field to the Colts' 13-yard line, and, and it looked. Uh, it looked like they might take the lead in the game and, and get the ball back to start the second half, which was which is always a big thing, you know, getting the, the double dip there. But but really, that that Colts defensive back just made a really really great play there. Yeah, Kenny Moore. I talked about Kenny Moore with Scott and Q, and I said the reason why I didn't think Hunter Renfro was going to have a big game is because Kenny Moore is playing really well, and Kenny Moore uh, typically lines up in the slot. That time he was lined up against Darren Waller, and as you said, Carr threw a pass. You, you don't want to see red zone interceptions. Carr, of course, Carr could have thrown a better ball. You, you may say, you may think it's a little bit underthrown. With a guy like Waller, who's about 6'6", you want to put that ball high up when only he can get it. You hear that phrase a lot, put the ball with a receiver, only a receiver can get it. And that time, I just think part of it is Kenny Moore just made a great play. He leaped up snagged it with one hand and brought it down. And I think Gruden said it in the post-game press conference. He said the kid made a great play. So I give I give credit to Kenny Moore more so than I than I fault Derek Carr for that interception. So again, uh, Kenny Moore is actually burnt on that first touchdown to Foster Moreau. So it was kind of like a, a you know, you have to 
to be a good defensive back in the league, you have to be able to forget the last play. So he gave up a big one over the top to Foster Moreau. He comes back, gets interception before the half, which also allows the Colts to go down the field and score a field goal before halftime, which I think was a huge momentum builder for them. Yeah, and and I think your assessment of that play is fair. You know, I'm 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 not going to argue uh, argue with that, but I will say I I do think the, the ball was was a little bit underthrown, and and I want to say I was. I was praising Carr on Twitter for the touchdown pass to Aguilar with his ball placement before you guys are out there calling me a hater. I, I was praising him for, for a great ball placement on that. I, I just thought the it was slightly overthrown or underthrown, excuse me. Kenny Moore absolutely made a great play. I watched it several times today on slow motion. Um, but, but, but I think if the ball was placed out in front of Waller more towards the, the pylon or even back of the end zone, mm-hmm. I don't know if, if Kenny Moore has, has a chance to make that kind of play on the ball. Um, but getting back to your point about, about Kenny Moore, a good friend of our show, Marcus Johnson from the tape, don't lie podcast. Uh, you know, he watches a lot of film and, and he said to me yesterday, the, the bigger factor involved on that play, yes, it was maybe underthrown and it was a great play, but what, what he saw is that the fact that the Raiders, they run this red zone look repeatedly this season. Okay. He, he refers to it as uh, double China. I'm not sure what, what route concepts are run in double China. <laughs> That's a little bit uh, above my pay grade, but he, he thinks through tape study that, that more was really prepared for that and he he dropped off in coverage and was able to make that play now i i don't disagree with him at all obviously he he watches a lot of film but i haven't seen the all 22 uh so so that that is going to be one play that i want i want to go back and take a close look at and and so as you mentioned the colts were able to go down at a field goal as, as time expired uh to end the first half and the raiders were, were lucky that that t- that that field goal wasn't a touchdown um mm-hmm. so at halftime indy did lead 20 to 14 las vegas received the ball to start the second half and, and they were able uh, to move the ball down the field you know they were really good between the 20 yard lines yesterday i thought especially um well all throughout the game really but they had some issues you know finishing drives they stalled out during that drive uh, at the inside the 10 yard line and, and carlson would come on to add a 25 yard field goal and, and mo that happened twice on each of the Raiders' drives in the start to start the second half, they had to settle for field goals. And the problem with that was that the Colts were scoring touchdowns, right? <laughs> uh, highlighted by the 62-yard run uh, by Jonathan Taylor, and then he added a, a three-yard run as well. And that really sums up what the issue has been for this team. It's the offense has to be nearly perfect on, on every possession, and that's just not sustainable or or realistic to ask your offense to be perfect. Yeah, absolutely. And 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 you said it. You when you're in a playoff matchup against a team that's rolling on offense, you don't want to trade field goals for touchdowns. You want to be on the side that's scoring touchdowns, not field goals. Uh the Raiders offense was was decent, was okay, it's pretty was good in the first half and it just kind of sputtered in the second. But Jim Ayella was on, uh Raiders uh Colts beat reporter. He was on with Scott and Q, and he made a point that I tweeted out Sunday, early Sunday morning, because I usually have my Sunday morning thoughts. And he said, usually the Colts' defense has issues settling in in the first half, but once they get in the second half and they finally uh, just get a look at their opponent and adjust, 
they're able to have a really good defense, one of the best defenses in the league. And I looked at the stats, and they're 28th, allowing 15.4 in the first half, and third, allowing 7.3 in the second half. And we saw that play out with the Raiders. Um, they stiffened up in the second half, as you as you just mentioned, gave up two field goals to, to, uh, in their Raiders' first drives. And after that, it was basically a garbage-time touchdown by Derek Carr running it in. But basically, I would say the Colts allowed two field goals with the game in balance, and, and they didn't give up much after that. So the Colts stayed true to form, and, and the Raiders, on their side of the ball, they still really didn't establish the run. I believe Josh Jacobs, uh, 13 carries for 49 yards. So it was a lot of Carr having to throw the ball, and I'm not saying that you know it was too much on Carr's plate because that's what he had to do. But uh, the Colts were able to see what the Raiders are doing, adjust, and come out. And again, um, tighten up on defense, and it, and it worked out for them. And now the Raiders did help the Colts a little bit with their with their penalties, I guess, which we'll get into next. But uh, the offense, as you said, has to be on point every game. They have to look go into the game looking to score 35 or more points, 31, 34, whatever the case may be, to win the games. And when they don't do that, when they start kicking field goals and not scoring touchdowns, it's going to be a problem. Yeah, you know, now that you mention uh, what, what Jim Aiello had to say about uh, the Colts being a little bit more vulnerable uh, early in games, the guest that I had on last week, Stephen Holder from The Athletic, he said the same thing. He he he, he used that same exact, you know, those same words. Uh, so that, that was definitely held true. Now, at that point, uh, the score was 34 to 20. And then you had the, the Renfro fumble, which led to another field goal to make it 37-20 early in the fourth quarter, and then the, the nail in the coffin came with the pick six to make it 44-20. The ball goes right through Richard's hands, mm-hmm. uh, and, and that was your ball game right there. And um, quick fact, though, before before we move on, um, and this is kind of off topic, but it was something that I wanted to make sure I, I threw in there because I do think it is you know the defense again i'm not trying to place blame in the offense the issue is the defense there's there's no doubt about it the offense has is much improved this year they've done their part uh for the for the most part but i do want to throw in that in the last four games and i actually texted you this earlier today uh in the last four games three of which were losses uh the raiders have turned it over 11 times okay and only nine times did they turn it over in the previous nine games. So just another area where, you know, you can kind of look to, to point the finger. But the problem with that is, again, it's just not a recipe for success because, you know, this offense can't afford to turn the ball over with this type of defense. Yeah, and like I said, you don't want to completely absolve the offense, but you're not helping yourself with turnovers. And this is, goes back to what I was the point I was making before the Atlanta Falcons game. Going on that East Coast road trip, I said – the Raiders have to play clean football. Regard, win or lose, they have to play clean football because playoff caliber teams don't beat themselves. And you mentioned the stat, 11 turnovers. That's not a playoff caliber team stat. If you're turning the ball over 11 times in three games, you're probably going to lose, especially if your defense is at the bottom of the cellar. You're, you're just not going to survive that way with your offense giving away possessions and your defense giving up points. Yeah, I want to let's get back to the conversation. You're 100 percent, Mo. I, I, but I do want to get back to the conversation mm-hmm. on the defense because obviously that's 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 the big conversation going on in Raider Nation today, and it, and it will be throughout the week. They allowed 456 yards of total offense, 244 through the air, 212 on the ground. That's a and the Colts averaged 6.8 yards per carry. <laughs> that that's that's way too much. Uh, they were the Colts were eight of 11 on third down. Zero sacks. I, do they, did they even touch Philip Rivers? I don't even think they touched him. 
one time <laughs> on that really on that touchdown on that touchdown pass that he threw. I I forgot who who it was to uh, T Y Hilton. The second touchdown pass T Y Hilton. Arden Key actually knocks down Philip Rivers, but he's too late. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I mean, there was absolutely no pressure on Rivers. And and listen to this. The Colts possessed the ball, okay, nine times in the game. Four times they scored on touchdowns. Three times they added field goals. Only one punt throughout the game. And that last possession, number nine, that was when they were in victory formation. So really, seven of the eight possessions resulted in 37 points. I mean, that's incredible. This, of course, led to the news we got late last night for people on the East Coast. I was in bed. Uh, that, that Paul Gunther was relieved of his duties after three years of failure as a defensive coordinator uh, with the Raiders. He, uh, you know, he was Gruden's handpicked guy, but it just never worked out. And before we get to some of your thoughts, Mo, if you think about the total body of work for Gunther during his tenure, it's hard to identify an area where the defense has shown steady growth or improvement. In fact, I'd argue that this year's defense has more talent than we've seen in his previous two years. But but they might be performing the worst of any of his three years. And, and obviously the injuries play a role in that and, and the many new faces and the, the shortened offseason, all of those factors are involved. But I'd like to get some of your thoughts on the firing of, of Gunther. Those are all excuses. And you talked about earlier, early in the podcast about Gruden kind of defaulting. He always talks about Gruden always makes a point to point out the injuries and the obstacles his team faces. And I think that's just to not throw anyone under the bus. But when you hear that under when you hear that during his press conferences week after week after week after week, it gets tiresome. And like you said, you just don't want to hear it anymore because, you know, all teams are going through this. All teams, uh, most teams have had someone with COVID or injuries every year happen. So there's no excuses for the Raiders defense or Gunther. And you and to go back to Gunther, uh, if you just ask Josh Bow for any defensive Raiders stat between 2018 and now, and he'll give you that number. And usually the Raiders are about 28th or worse, 28th, 29th or last in the stat category. You name it Uh you know, points allowed, yards allowed, for, you know, third down conversions, all all of this, all of these stats that Josh Abel has on his Twitter account. You could just look them up. The Raiders are usually bottom five. And that tells you a lot about your your defense and your defensive coordinator. And I, and I just think that the firing and I, we're going to get into this. It was a little too late for me. Um, you're doing it at this point in the season when. There's number one, there's not much you can change. And number two, now you're going to have to simplify things because players are not just going to pick up a new scheme with three games left in the season in the middle of a playoff race. But I, I just feel like Gunther, uh, we we had Vic Tafer on the show, if you remember, mm-hmm. after I believe the Bills loss. And basically he said Gunther wasn't on the hot seat. There was no speak of Gunther you know, being on the way out or possibly having one foot out the door. Gruden seemed pretty comfortable with Gunther, and I know during the press conferences, Gruden kind of, I don't want to say blame, but put the responsibility on the players because he said in certain plays, players, some guys are playing man coverage, some guys are playing zone, and they have to know their assignment. And we saw that on film. We we went through the play-by-plays as we normally do, and we saw some mistakes, some eye violations, some gap discipline issues. We saw all of that, which is not on Gunther, which is on the players. But at the end of the day, when your players are just not picking up their assignments, you have to look at the teacher. And, and if you look at it, at it in, a, in a school perspective, if your students are not doing what they're supposed to be doing, 
and they're continuously making the same mistakes as you just said over and over again, you have to look at the teacher and you have to you have to bring in a substitute. And I, and I think the Raiders did that a little too late. Yeah, yeah. I, and I, I, I was surprised. You know, I, I honestly didn't think the move would happen. I mean, at this point, I didn't think it was going to happen until the season was over. But many people mm-hmm. were saying on, you know, Twitter, and I was listening to Raider Nation Radio today, like, what have you got to lose at this point, right? I mean, you're gonna have, you've already got one of the worst defenses in the league. Where, where are you going to go? There's nowhere to go but up. So, uh, but <laughs> we, we got the impression that if anybody out there who listened to Gruden's press conference, that it was definitely him that made the call based on what he had to say today in his press conference. I know some people were speculating maybe the the move came from from Mark Davis, but you know Gruden's always been very supportive of his guy Gunther. But uh, I did get a much higher sense uh, or level of frustration in Gruden after the game yesterday in his press conference. But uh, but overall, as far as the timing is concerned, I'm with you. Only three games left. It, it seems like a, a little bit too late you know a little too late at this point um what i guess my question was when were you thinking would be a a more appropriate time because you know it was tricky when you i was looking at the schedule today and i was trying to pick out well when do i think it would have been a more appropriate time and they they had that three-game win streak with the browns the chargers and the broncos and that really kind of kind of masked things i I tweeted that today i said usually teams are not gonna make a change in, in the coaching ranks while they're winning. And I tweeted this last night. It's like teams are just not going to do that while they're getting W's. It's like, okay, we're winning. Why are we going to change anything? And it goes along with some of the fans may say, just win baby. And then that's it. It's over. You know, we can move on. And it goes back to, again, that whole jet situation where you have to pay attention to the details. Yeah. You're winning, but how are you winning these games? It does matter. Yeah, it comes down to wins and losses, I get in the standings. But it does matter what your players are doing in between those downs and how you're getting to your wins. Are are you, you know, are you just eking them out against winless teams? Are you are you blowing teams out? Are you winning convincingly? Or do you have a clean setup? And the rate and the Raiders just over the past past four weeks haven't had that. A quick I'll tell you, at when the firing happened, I was actually taking a nap. I I was up all Saturday. You all sleep? Sunday. You actually, actually sleep, Mo? Yeah, I took a I took a short nap. I took a, the one time I took a short nap. I wake up and someone texts me and, and they say, "Wow, Raiders fans are happy." And I'm thinking, um, the Raiders just got embarrassed. What is there to be happy about? So I go on, and immediately I look into our group chat, and Scott, you know, has the has the news that the Raiders have relieved. Paul Gunther, I'm with you. A lot of people said it could have been from Mark Davis. Uh, Listen to Gruden today. It, it's clear to me that he made the decision. And it seems like there was a discussion after the game that happened. And and there was a disagreement. And maybe Gruden felt like it was time that, okay, your voice is not getting through to these players. And I and the Raiders can still go 10-6. and six. I know a lot of fans want to throw out the season right now because they felt this loss is deflating. And it was. But the Raiders can still go 10-6. And <clears> and that's think- just that me. That's me, Mo. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Throwing the season out. <laughs> Throwing the season out. It's like, you can still go 10-6. and six, And if the Ravens lose tonight, you're still in this. You still control your own destiny. Because if you if the Ravens lose tonight and the Raiders win out, they, they'll, they'll get it. They'll, they could get in. You know, so it's not, it's not, all is not lost yet. But I, just to answer your question, when it should have happened, to me, I looked at this and you're right. The wins mask a lot of a lot of things that go wrong with the football team, but I think they should have asked him after the Tampa Bay Buccaneers lost, and, I, and I'll, I'll explain why. 
that game they gave up a season a season worst 45 points now i know they they had the whole COVID outbreak and their offensive line didn't have practice so everyone was focusing on that but most of the defensive players were in i know they didn't have john abram but everyone now is saying maybe we shouldn't have john abram on the field because he's a knucklehead and he commits all these penalties and he's not good for the defense i mean john abram is a starter but he's not an, an all pro pro bowl level player so let's not look at John Abram. Oh, they didn't have John Abram, so that's why the defense gave up 45 points. I, I think they would have given up a lot of points even with him on the field. But I would have I would have got rid of Gunther after that simply because the Raiders, even though they moved the game up from the primetime slot up, up, up a few hours, the Raiders had a week off. They were coming off of a bye. So coming, you're telling me coming off of a bye – Brady goes 33 of 45 for 369 yards and four touchdowns. He only got touched once, just like Phillip Rivers yesterday. Brady was only touched once that game, and that's when Mohurst knocked him down and, and helped him up because he probably was a Brady fan growing up because he grew up in the Massachusetts, New, New England area. But they only touched Brady one time that game off of a bye. Again, I know they moved the game up, and that was unexpected, but you had, an, you had more time to prepare than the Buccaneers, and your defense did – Absolutely nothing to slow down Tom Brady after that game. And and I and I get it. The Raiders are probably on a high after they upset the Chiefs in our head before their bye. But to come off a bye with extra time and not touch Brady and give up 45, I think that was the time to let him go. Of course, the momentum was kind of on their side before that, so I could see why they kept them on. And also, they held Mahomes to a season-low 51 completion rate in that, in that win. So people were kind of praising Gunther after that. And to just go in and get and get and unravel in the fourth quarter because remember the Raiders were in that game. People want to talk about, they didn't practice and they didn't have this. They didn't have that. They were competitive in that game. They, the defense unraveled in the fourth quarter and that's how it became a blowout. So to me, I would have let them go after that game. Yeah. And, and I agree. It had to have been, if there was ever any doubt in your mind about the defensive coordinator, the move had to be made earlier because you know, there would have still been time to, to try to turn it around or at least see some improvements. I just feel now with, with three games left, it, there's just no time. And, and, you know, one of those games is, is a couple days away on Thursday night. So I, I just don't really know what, what kind of improvements we can expect to see. And actually we're going to get into that in, in just a moment, but you know, here we are three games left playoff hopes as, as you stay hanging by a thread. I, I, I think it's over. I, I know people out there are going to probably turn me off now. I, I just don't see it. This team has has not given me any hope. Uh, there's a new defensive coordinator at the helm. So let's go there. Rod Marinelli, well, he's now going to have a chance to try to quickly stop the bleeding with this defense. I, I talked about not expecting to see much. What are you expecting to see with only three games left under Marinelli with, with the game just a couple days away? I know this was brought up while Gunther was having his early issues. Um, I think Corey Littleton kind of talked about something of, you know, simplifying assignments, just not complicating things. Uh, I don't want to say a vanilla defense, but just kind of putting on an attack style pass rush. I remember Robert Quinn, who I wanted the Raiders to sign this offseason, said he went to the Dallas Cowboys. He signed with the Dallas Cowboys simply because he wanted to play in Marinelli's system, which is an attack style system. Um, so maybe we'll see more blitzing. Um, I, I want to see if that's a thing that they're gonna they're gonna implement more of the skies blitzes, maybe a linebacker blitz, a safety blitz here and there. I want to see if, if that attack style defense um, comes out to play on Thursday under Marinelli and his and his tutelage and his play calling. But again, that's what attracted Robert Quinn to Marinelli. It, it didn't work this time as he went 
with the sign with the bears but um i think that's probably what you're going to see more of um the other thing i want to see and i think this has nothing to do with schematics but i want to see just a more disciplined football team um going back to the game yesterday the raiders gave up five first downs just on penalties and I just really quick run it down. Kwiatkowski on the first play of the game, defensive yep. pass interference. Yep. Yep. Jonathan Abram had an unnecessary roughness um, in, in in the red zone. Jonathan Hakins, an encroachment penalty on second and one. Raekwon McMillan, who we never hear from, had a neutral zone infraction on one third play, and two. Right? His first play? Right. <laughs> exactly. His first play. Neutral, yeah. neutral zone infraction on third and two. And Jonathan Taylor scores on the very next play to make it 34-20. Trayvon Mullen had a back-breaking uh, holding call on him on third and 15, which allowed the Colts to extend their drive and eventually score a field goal before the half so one of the things that i want to see other than the schematics is just to see a more disciplined raiders football team on the defensive side of the ball where they're not handing teams yards and points yeah well you know what that that's one of his calling cards i believe from from what i've you know i don't know a whole lot about marinelli but i i do know that he's known as a disciplinarian a guy who has high expectations for his players and, and look, likes to hold them accountable i think what we're seeing with with carl nassib is a good example of that he's not performing the way uh marinelli's wants him to and he's uh you know he's th- thrown him to the bench so i do think a lot of fans out there based on what i've been seeing online they're they're optimistic that marinelli can can you know, get some things turned around here enough to at least keep the Raiders in the hunt. And, and, and many think that that'll make him a strong candidate to maybe even stick around next year. Now, we've got a lot more to get to tonight, Mo, but I do want to get to a quick break. And when we return, we'll throw some names out there, some possible long-term replacements for Gunther. Also, we'll take a close look at the path that remains to the playoffs, as well as the Thursday night matchup with the Chargers. We'll be right back here on Just Pod Baby, the Week 14 recap episode. We are back, Evan Grote and Mo Moten, just pod baby, breaking down the disappointing 44-27 loss to the Colts and all the fallout from Sunday. We, we talked about the firing of Paul Gunther, and, and now I want to discuss some of the potential long-term replacements that are out there for, for the position. Obviously, it's very early in the process. The season isn't even over yet, but it's always fun to speculate, and, and fans obviously are out there throwing names uh, around already. I put a tweet out last night. I don't know, looking to just get a list of names from from Raiders Twitter. I wanted to see who who everyone was interested in. It was a long list, a lot of different names, a lot of different ideas out there. Definitely some some more common than others. Um, but Mo, I'm sure you've had some time today to think about a couple potential candidates that you like. Let, let's hear some of those names. Yeah, I know everyone's throwing out the common ones like Raheem Morris because he's got history with Gruden and Wade Phillips, who uh, Vinny Bonsignor said that uh, would be interested in the Raiders job. So his name is going to be floated out there by most Raiders fans and Raiders fans have been calling for him for for week, for months now. He's And again, he wants to get back into coaching. Dan Quinn is another popular name. Of course, he was defense coordinator for the Seahawks when they had the Legion of Boom and those guys. But I'll put out some names, some fresh names, because I think this is what the Raiders need. The Raiders have had 18 years of mediocre subpar defenses, and I, and I just want a fresh mind, an innovative coach in there just to kind of breathe new life, kind of go the Rams route. The Rams hired Brandon Staley, who was the outside linebackers coach of the Bears, and now he's a pretty good defensive coordinator. The Rams arguably have 
the best defense in the league now since we're seeing issues with the Steelers over the last couple of weeks. People can make the argument that the Rams have the best defense now. But my names throughout there are the defensive line coach for the Pittsburgh Steelers. I know I just said they've been having some issues, but Carl Dunbar has 14 years of experience. He was hired in 2018, and the Steelers are usually top five in sacks. And what is the what is one of the Raiders' biggest issues with their defense? Their pass rush. So I think Carl Dunbar... Uh, should be a name that people should look at because, again, the Steelers are usually top five or top, I should say top, usually top three or one or two in sacks every year. Um, another name to throw out, Larry Foote, who some may remember used to play for the Steelers, two-time Super Bowl champions, the defensive line coach for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers now, who are top five right now in sacks. Jason Pierre-Paul and Shaquille Barrett uh, have become I, you know, I should say Shaquille Barrett has become a household name. JPP has always been a guy we've known to be a pretty good pass rusher. That's that that Buccaneers defense pretty good. Washington, that feisty defense is is basically helping them back into the playoff picture. They lead the division right now behind a fierce pass rush. Sam Mills the third is an, another name that I like. Former Saint, former Panther, five-time Pro Bowl and All-Pro. He's got that defensive line playing pretty well under Ron Rivera. And JDR, a lot of people threw out Jack, Jack Del Rio. Jack Del Rio is not going to come back to the Raiders. After he was actually one of the names. He was one of the names that somebody <laughs> he, put on the list. I, I mean, I was surprised. I can't believe somebody would. Would hmm. I mean, it just it'll, it'll just never work out. They just fired the guy. Ooh. I think they're still paying him, aren't they? <laughs> they might be, but he's he's not gonna he's not gonna accept that job under no. the guy that replaced him. Just, no, people are nuts if they think JDR is gonna is gonna go back to the Raiders after that. Yeah. But one really quick name that I know is not gonna happen but I would love to see him back with the Raiders. Speaking of coming back, Brenston Buckner. The Raiders should hire him. I mean, they were they were improving. That defensive line was improving under him. The Cardinals had eight sacks yesterday on the Giants. I'm in New York City, so I get the Giants games. The Cardinals were wrecking Daniel Jones yesterday. And Brenston Buckner had Hassan Reddick looking like an all-pro. had five sacks. He had five sacks. He had the Khalil Mack special yesterday. <laughs> Against the Giants, and Preston Buckner's doing his thing with that Cardinals defensive line. I know he probably won't come back because they let him go for Rod Marinelli. It's a JDR to, to John Gruden type of situation. But I would love to have him back, even though it's probably not going to happen. So, so uh, you know, I'm not real familiar with, with, other than Buckner, I'm not real familiar with, with Dunbar or, or Larry Foote. Um, but it sounds like you, you're definitely leaning towards you know, as you said, a young, fresh mind. Um, you don't want to see kind of like these retreads. Like, you know, for me, obviously the the name, I'm, I'm attracted to Wade Phillips like a lot of the other Raider fans are. Just just because, you know, he's had so much success. Even even recently, you know, with the Rams and, and the Broncos. I mean, those were Super Bowl teams. And he, he led those defenses and, uh, you know, did some really good things with the Texans as well before that. Um, but, you know, I was I was... I would I would be concerned about a, a younger guy who who does not I I'm assuming Dunbar, Larry Foote and I, and I know Buckner they don't have any experience as play callers correct? No, they they don't have experience as play callers. But what I will say really quick to that is maybe you you keep Marinelli on staff uh, or you or you get a another older assistant because a lot of these coaches staffs they hire like defensive you hear defensive advisor defensive assistant maybe if you if you're worried about the inexperience of a of a new play caller you hire a an experienced guy along with him 
even Dunbar, who's a, who's older than the other candidates that I mentioned, Larry Foote and Sam Mills the third. Dunbar is older. He's got 14 years of experience, just never a play caller. But maybe you hire a consultant or assistant to pair along with your young uh, defensive coordinator and see how it works out. Because just really quick on the offensive side, Kevin Stefanski, he was a new hire as an offensive coordinator for the Vikings, and they paired him with Gary Kubiak. And those two melded together to 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 feel a really good offense. And that was I was kind of like the the help out for him being a first time play caller is that he had someone with experience alongside him just to help him along the process. Yeah, just a couple of thoughts. I jotted down a few notes, things I wanted to make sure I I, I said first w- with your with your thought process about bringing in a guy who who does not have experience, but you know is a young mind with some innovative. Uh, uh, you know, ideas and things like that. I I just don't know if it's in Gruden's nature to go, you know, with a guy who's never called defense. You know, just just mm-hmm. you know, based on what we've seen with him and some of his players, I I don't know if I could see him going that route. And and the second thing I wanted to make sure I put out there is that I was listening to um, Silver and Black today. Uh, with Scott and Q, of course, and they were talking with Hondo Carpenter today. He does a weekly spot on Monday, of course, and and I think that Hondo made a really good point, and I think you're on to something here with some of these coaches that you're throwing out there. Um, the Raiders, not only do they need to hire a guy, in, in, in my opinion, that has some sort of track record of success, but they need to find a guy that knows how to develop players. This team, this defense, there's a lot of young guys on the, on that side of the ball who have a lot of potential. But they need to bring someone in that can can help these youngsters realize that and really meet their potential. And I, you know, you talked about Brenston Buckner and I I don't think, you know, he's not going to come back like you said because he was fired. Um but you know, he he's a good example of he got those young defensive linemen to play pretty well last year. So to me, that might be even that might trump um, experience, really. Really quick, though, I, I will say this, and and you're right, you're absolutely right, and Hondo is correct on that. They have the potential there. They just need someone who can untap and unleash that potential. With my picks for a new defensive coordinator, my thing is I don't want Gruden to fall into this buddy system that yeah. he's done. And oh, I, yeah. and I it's think absolutely probably, a problem. And, and it's a huge problem because you want someone who's best for the job, not not your close friend from the 1990s who used to run with when you were with the Eagles or the Tampa Buccaneers or whatever, or the Raiders or whatever. I want the best person for the job. And and if that and that happens to be someone you've never worked with, so be it. And 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 again, I just I, I don't want another retread that, oh, Gruden is like, yeah, I, I worked with him in the 1990s. He's a great guy because that didn't work out the first time around. How about we just open up the candidacy, open up the interviews and really talk to these guys and see who's who can develop talent? Because, again, as you just said, the Raiders have the talent. It's just that they're for some reason they just don't put it together on game day, and they need to do that. And I and I think they just need to focus on a guy number one who could develop talent, and number two someone who can help their pass rush because it's been an issue since the Khalil Mack trade. I know I know they didn't have the top tip top pass rush when Khalil Mack was there, but still it's it's a big problem. And if you don't get to the quarterback in this league. Anyone can dice you up. Phillip Rivers came into that game with a hurt toe, couldn't move a lick, and didn't get touched. You know, can you imagine how that game would have been different if he had just a little bit of pressure on him? So I think they need a guy, one, who can, who's, I think, that maybe this is a preference for me, but is younger 
maybe play the game, Brenston Buckner actually play the game. Somebody, you know, somebody who's actually not far removed from the field, a Sam Mills III, who's the DL coach for the Washington football team. Again, Larry Foote, who also played. These guys play, so they under they have a an acute understanding of what these players are going through, and they're not far removed, so the game hasn't changed much since they last suited up. So I think one, I think the Raiders can go young, but they can also go with experience, as you just said, because you want someone with a bit of a track record. That's why I understand the Raheem Morrises and and the Dan Quinns of the world. Those two guys are not old, and they have a track record. They they've had success. Uh, Wade Phillips, of course, is the is the biggest name. He's a little older, but he's had some. He's got a great track record. And I said that in the tweet today. I said I'd be okay with a retread if he has a really good resume, a really good track record that proves that he's developed talent and fielded top 10 defenses. I'm okay with it. I just don't, again, I just don't want a guy with a mediocre resume who who's really tight with Gruden. I don't want that. I need the Raiders to go away from that because again, it hasn't worked. Yeah. You know what? You, you've sold me on your logic. You know that the, the hell with Wade Phillips, I'm with you and in, in your logic. I, I do think you're onto something there. Uh, it's definitely going to be one of the bigger storylines of the offseason for sure. And, you know, we've got plenty of time to dive into the offseason in the coming weeks, but there's still games to be played. And technically, the Raiders are still alive, despite what I think. I, I, uh, we know that that loss hurts. It hurts the chances dramatically. Uh, and they're gonna need they're gonna need a lot of help if they want to get in, and they and they're gonna have to win out. As as we record this podcast right now, the Ravens are, are playing the Browns, and I don't have the TV in front of me, so I don't know what the score is. But a rate tied, tied at tied at seven, tied at seven. Okay, <laughs> what quarter? Uh, it's the end of the first quarter. End of the first quarter. Okay. Well, obviously a Raider, uh, Raiders Ravens loss would, would definitely help help things out. Uh, but right now it looks like it's a three team race: Raiders, Dolphins, and Ravens for that that final wild card spot. Yeah, definitely. We we broke it down in the last podcast. We think that I think we both agree that we we feel like the Dolphins have the toughest road because of their their schedule. They just lost to the Chiefs. Uh, at first, it looked like they were going to give the Chiefs problems, and then I they did intercept Patrick Mahomes three times, but. You know, you can't hold down the Chiefs for that long. And they came back and they crushed the Dolphins. But I, I think that eventually the Dolphins are going to, again, I think they're going to fall out of the playoff race. I, I said it last week. I think it's between the Ravens and the and the Raiders. And if the, Raver, if the Ravens lose today and they drop to 7-6, and six, all the Raiders have to do, despite all what's happened, and we just said it, they just have to win out. I know that's not easy. Easier said than done. But if the Ravens win tonight, it's going to be tough for the Raiders, even if they do win out, because the, the Ravens have Jacksonville, the Giants, and Cincinnati. And and uh, people are probably wondering, well, why are the Raiders, if the Raiders and the Ravens both finish 10-6, and six, why do the Raiders get the pathway to the 7th seed? And I'll just explain it real quick. It's because of conference record. That is, that is the tiebreaker. If two teams don't play each other during the season, they go by conference record. And if the Raiders were to win now, they would be 8-4 and four in, within the AFC, within their AFC games. And if Baltimore loses today and then wins out, they'll be 6-6 six and six in their AFC conference games. So it wouldn't be close. So the, the silver lining with the Raiders' losses is that uh, a few of them were to the NFC team. So... Again, they would win out that tiebreaker in the conference. But again, the pathway to the playoffs is still alive. We'll see what happens with this Raiders-Ravens-Browns game. But basically, if the Ravens win, the Raiders, no matter what, they're going to need some help, which could happen. You never know. So you you play it out. You string it out how you can. You, you focus on winning out. But basically, if the Ravens win, it's, it's going to be one of those things where the Raiders fans are going to have to be cheering for other teams every week to, to get in the playoffs. And I saw a tweet from someone, I think I believe it was Lucille, shout out to her who's on Twitter, 
Uh, she said she's tired of, of seeing scenarios at the end of the season where the Raiders have to depend on other teams to lose for them to get in. The Raiders have to be in a position for once where they can control their own destiny and say, hey, we just got to go out and we handle our business and we'll get in. But unfortunately, they lost that. They lost that control yesterday when they lost a, a pivotal game. So again, the Raiders pathway is still alive. It's kind of weird to believe that the Raiders can go 10 and six and still miss the playoffs. But I just want to ask you a quick question. I know this wasn't on the docket, but let's say the Raiders go 10 and six and miss the playoffs. Would you view that as a failure of a season because they didn't make the playoffs? Or would you look more at the bright side because they did improve on their win total going from seven and nine to 10 and six? Man, that is a great question. And, and, <laughs> you know, Scott and Q asked me this, uh, couple weeks ago when I was on with them and well they asked me about nine and seven you're asking about ten and six they asked me I said nine and seven would absolutely be a disappointment because that means they would have gone what uh three and two in the last mm-hmm. I'm not sure I got I'm not that good at math I can't do quick math <laughs> like that but nine and seven to me would, would definitely be a disappointment ten and mm-hmm. six on the other hand I mean ten wins that's a lot of wins right uh mm-hmm. but to well, did you- to miss the playoffs, especially in a year where there's it's been expanded, that's 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 a tough pill to swallow. And and you know you have these disappointing performances against the Falcons and uh, against the Colts. I I still think it's a disappointment. I really do because they were all set up. They they were in the perfect position at six and four. The schedule looked very good. And they just haven't played well. So I, I do. I think I have to say, even if they were to win out, miss the playoffs, I'm going to chalk it up as a disappointment. That that's that's an interesting. And I again, I just thought of that on the fly because if you think about it, if I told you before the season has started that the Raiders were going to finish ten and six, I think most fans would be like, "Hell yeah, I will take oh, that." Oh yeah, yeah, you know, definitely. We went from, seven, we went from what four and twelve to seven nine to ten and six. I'll yeah. take that any day. Yeah, and and. But, I was, but the caveat is, well, they, they didn't make the playoffs because they lost some key matchup games down the stretch, yeah. though. <laughs> yeah, like, you're right. You're right. It's kind of like, yeah, yeah, you're right. That's, that's exactly that's exactly it. That's exactly it. Especially, you know, the thing is, you start six and four. That's ten games. So so in the final six games, that means two. they went four and what? Four, four and, and four and two. Okay, you know, I guess, geez, I guess I would take it. Yeah, it's, it's a tough question, Mo. That, right. is, that is a very good question. Yeah. It's, it comes down to this. Do you value progress more than an actual playoff berth? Or is it playoffs or nothing for you? Because that's what it comes down to. Because you can say, well, we improved, but we didn't make the playoffs. Are you are you encouraged by the improvement? Or are you more disappointed by not making the playoffs because you, you lost some games that you had to win? Yeah. So are you looking at it long term or short term? Yeah, yeah. And I, I think I, I think most fans, maybe I could be wrong, but they just want to see the Raiders get into the dance, right? Because mm-hmm. it, it's been, you know, they, they had the 2016 season, of course, but, you know, there's been a lot of losing. So I, I think most teams just want to get to the dance. But I think, you, you know, looking at the big picture, you do want to see steady growth. And, of course, going from, as you said, 4-12 and 12 to 7-9 and nine to 10-6, ten, to ten that is steady growth. So that's an accomplishment as well. But well, real quick, I just want to make sure I heard you correct because I did not run through all the tiebreaker scenarios. I actually have that in my notes. I have the, um, and you already explained it, the, the 
how the tiebreakers work uh, for teams that are not in the same division. It, the number one thing is the head-to-head matchups, if if it's a, applicable, and then it goes to, as you said, the uh, games played within the conference. So you said if if the Ravens lose today, mm-hmm. they can win out and finish 10-6, and six, and if the Raiders win out, they also finish 10-6, and six, the Raiders would win the tiebreaker right? based on conference Raiders- record. Right, because the Rays will have an eight and four conference record in the AFC, and the Ravens, if they lose tonight and win out, they would have a six and six conference six and six. record. Okay. So it would, it wouldn't even be close. So again, you don't want to lose games ever, right? You, there's no. no good losses, and I explained that. But the the silver lining with the Raiders, some of the Raiders' losses, is that they lost to NFC teams, the Falcons and and the Buccaneers. So two of their losses outside of the conference actually helps them in a conference race with the Ravens at the end of the season, because again, their conference records would be nowhere close. If the Ravens were to lose today and then win out eight and four to six and six is not even close. So if the Ravens can just get a tie, they don't have to have a better record. If they could just tie with the Ravens to finish the season, they're in. But again, right now you got to root for the Browns to, to make that, make that true or make that a situation, a possible situation that can unfold. It's interesting stuff. That's that's why we, we love the NFL. But of course, none of that means anything if they can't get their act together and, and get win number eight on Thursday night. Let's, let's quickly take a, a look at that before we say goodbye for, for this week. The Chargers picked up their fourth win of the season. Uh, last second play, I believe it was, over the Falcons uh, yesterday. And I tell you, Mo, besides the 45-point blowout, to the Patriots a couple weeks ago that the Chargers had, you know, I, I know the record is, is four and nine, but they've been, they've been really competitive all season long with, with the rookie quarterback. He's played well. We saw it firsthand. I mean, it came down to a, a play under review that, you know, the Raiders won the game on a, on a play on review. Uh, so we know that we know that the Chargers, you know, they're dangerous. Um, and on a short week with the Raiders dealing with a lot of injuries right now to that defense, Farrell uh, was out yesterday, yesterday left the game with a shoulder, Abram and Morrow and are in concussion protocol. Arnett is still dealing with his concussion. And then you, you, you factor in that with uh, a new defensive coordinator calling the shots. So it's, it's not exactly an ideal situation. Yeah, absolutely. And, I, and you just took the words right off of my notes. Like Marinelli is going to be coaching with key players on each level of defense out. You just mentioned the names, Farrell, Morrow, and John Abram. Uh, that's going to be a challenge for him. And then you got a, you got a passing attack. The Chargers passing attack is eighth in the league. Um, actually, fourth in the league, I should say. Sorry, excuse me. But they're they're playing pretty well, in the, uh, I should say, on the offensive ball. Not scoring a lot of points lately, but still dangerous, especially with Justin Herbert able to extend the field and stretch the field uh the Raiders down a couple of uh, defensive backs it, it's going to be it's going to be an issue it's going to be a challenge I actually thought the Chargers are going to lay down after their 45 to 0 loss to the Patriots I'm thinking Anthony Lynn is going to get fired and this team is going to have to turn it around under an under an interim but they showed some spark and, and beat a team that blew out the Raiders in the Falcons so Raiders can't overlook this I, I know they're you know, fans are rooting for for the Browns today, but the Raiders have business to take care of. You just talked about it uh, really quick. I just want to note, Bosa didn't play that first game against the Raiders. He's back. Chris Harris didn't play that first game against the Raiders. He's playing. So keep in mind, it took two plays in the end zone with Isaiah Johnson on Mike Williams and Donald Parham to win that game. So you need to look no further than the first game between the Raiders and Chargers to know that this game could come down to another nail-biter. Absolutely, Mo. This will be a tough game. It's a division game. You can throw records out the window. You know also the Chargers, they would love to play spoiler here. 
All right, Mo, another great job tonight. And I appreciate you, as always, joining me. But that is going to do it for this week's recap episode and just some programming notes for all of you out there. Because of the short week, I will not be doing the preview show this week. And then because of the holidays the week after, what I'm planning to do is I'm going to record the Week 15 preview episode that match up with the Dolphins. I'll do that either Monday or Tuesday. Um, so you can have a few days to, to tune in before the Dolphins game on the 26th okay if anything changes with that plan i will be sure to let you know on twitter so make sure you're following me at egro5 have a great rest of the week everyone and for my co-host mo moton i am evan Grote. stay safe out there everyone and as always just win baby